Hello, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lucy. Welcome to the ninth episode of Tudoriferous, the fortnightly biographical podcast that examines the lives in the Tudor era. And today, Halloween! (laughs) Yes, we decided to do a special episode on Halloween. Why? Because it's fun. Yeah, and it's Halloween. But first of all, we have a little thank you. Or hello, or we could say hello, hello Luxembourg, because we Luxembourg, yes, we are number six on the history podcast of Luxembourg. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, thank you, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, that's the oh. one that counts. I mean, that's the one we all vie for, isn't it? The Luxembourg vote. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. So that's. Oh, I didn't think we'd be that well known. I thought we'd spend a lot more time in complete obscurity, to be honest. No, no, we're right up there now. Right up there in the top echelons of podcasting. That's crazy. (laughs) It is, isn't it? Yeah, we've got four four episodes out so far and (laughs) number six. (laughs) Let's check it a hundred episodes and see how far we've plummeted. (laughs) Rise and fall. No, no, don't we. The only, the only way is up. <laughs> the only way is up. I like that attitude. Okay. Okay, Halloween. Before we really start discussing what happens on this holiday, I did want to go over a few things that people may pop up saying, well, what about this? What about this? We come across varying accounts all the time, and specifically our perception of those varying accounts. Right now, in 2021, we have a perception that everyone knows the same things we do. We have the news, and it's global. We have the internet, phones, TV. Anything we want to know and share can be done almost instantly. We also have schools. All children and teenagers in a region are often taught the same things. And even if they're not taught exactly the same, within a region, the curriculum is agreed upon by a school district. At least that's what it's called in Canada. I'm sure there's an equivalent in other areas of the world. What we forget or don't think about is how information was shared in the Tudor times. There were no schools for any level of society until universities. And even if you got to go to university, it was because you were very wealthy or you had a patron. For the majority of society, you were taught as a young child by your mother, then you would learn your trade. Your entire education was very specific to what your life was and what you were expected to be able to do. There wasn't time to teach you general information. So Are You as Smart as a Fifth Grader, that lovely game show, that would not have helped anybody. (laughs) Nobody would have been able to do it. To find out news, you had to hope that a town crier would come through and that maybe there was a royal proclamation giving you an update. At the same time, you kind of hoped that that didn't happen because those were often about war and people needing to come battle. You'd have to leave your home and family and... and pray you could get back. Die. (laughs) Yes. Or a traveling merchant might come through to tell you the latest gossip. You could go months between these proclamations or traveling merchants. In some areas, a traveling merchant would only come through once a year. Mm. You can't really believe that people, 
is so different, isn't it? That you it's it's hard to put yourself in the position of not knowing anything about the outside world. That, and in some cases, people didn't even leave their town for their entire life. They never mm. left an area of, say, 10 square miles. Mm. That's it. And we think, I get in my car and I drive that at least three times a day just to go to the grocery store and back. <laughs> it may be weeks before you even find out the news from the next village. If you were extremely lucky, your mother had known how to read and write, and she taught you. You then, if you were inclined and could afford parchment or paper and pens and the ink, nothing came from a store, you could write to others in other towns and get the news a little faster. All of this lack of communication led to a partial isolation, which would then lead to the development of unique traditions and practices or modifications of common traditions and practices. That's why you'll often hear historians say that in York or in Devon, such and such happened rather than in England. Each area essentially developed its own unique culture. Some of it was shared, yeah, but a great deal would be unique to a fairly small area. So in this episode, we will talk about what could be happening, but try to keep in mind that this would vary depending on what area of England you were in during the Tudor era. You wouldn't necessarily understand people who lived any distance, any great distance away from you. I mean, the dialects were so different in those days. I mean, they've been yes. sort of evened out a lot more now that we can generally understand what other people in our country are saying, although I could never understand my grandmother, who was a Geordie. I couldn't, her, her <laughs> accent was so thick that I had not know what she was talking about. Exactly. But, um, but for, for, most, for a lot of people at this time, that would represent, you know, 30 miles down the road. We would start to think, what are they going on about? Yeah, I, in Canada, it's the same. And I was quite surprised. I get so many people wondering why I don't say a. And when I say about, I don't say about. And that's because that's very Eastern Canada. I, I don't know anybody in BC who actually does that. All right. Oh, I didn't know that. Is that a, is that a Scot Scottish throwback? A boot? Uh, to be honest, I don't know. That's around yeah. Newfoundland and Labrador. Oh. So possibly? I don't know. Anyway, sorry, I've taken us a bit off. <laughs> that's okay. Now, come with me. If you dare. Ooh. The days are dark, wet, and cold. Martinmas is fast approaching, and you will soon slaughter all of your meat animals. This is a terrifying season where the cold and wet bring disease and death, and the only source of light you have are puny rushlights and a central hearth fire. There is no chimney. So you have to stay low in the room to not breathe in the smoke and cough. You lay out your straw mattress on the floor and you can hear the scarlet fox screaming in the woods. And you hope that does not bode ill for the one night of the year where the barrier between the living and the dead is the thinnest and most easily broken. If you live in a wealthy farmer's house, you at least are surrounded with other servants and the family. The house has been blessed by a priest before the darkness fell, and you can distantly hear the church bells ringing to scare away evil spirits and witches. You pray 
that with the door shut fast and the window shuttered, you will be safe and will wake up in the morning, having survived All Hallows' Eve. Hmm. Creepy time to live. Very. But the, fo the fox is still the... Uh, it still presages. It still presages... Uh, is that right? This doesn't sound like a proper word. It's... Yeah, anyway. So you still hear the fox before death. If you watch Midsummer Murders, they always have a fox before the murder. Every time. So it's still a current omen. It's still, well, it's such a creepy sound, isn't it? That, um, yeah. I mean, we get foxes around here and it's a sort of scream in the night. It's... The first time I heard it was uh, Pride and Prejudice when it came out with uh, Colin Firth and Jennifer Ely. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. And I'm I sure. thought it was a woman screaming. <laughs> And I kept wondering, how is nobody reacting? So I finally went and looked it up and discovered, oh, it's a fox. No, it <laughs> isn't. No one, no one's paying attention. Echoes <laughs> around the countryside. Yeah. The first known or recorded use of the word Halloween was in the mid-1500s, right in the middle of the Tudor era. But is this the origin? No. I'd love to say that it's entirely a Tudor invention, but it is not. The origin is much earlier, the source most likely being the Celtic festival of Samhain, which translates to Summer's End. People had lit bonfires and put on costumes to scare away unfriendly spirits of the dead. The Catholic Church was really rather clever in the way they didn't suppress a pagan holiday, but rather they co-opted it. Pope Gregory III decided that the fate of Samhain was to become the night before All Saints' Day, or in medieval and Tudor language, All Hallow Mass, which means All Hallows' Day. Hallow is the term for holy personage, and I thought this would just be saints, but it isn't. It includes saints, martyrs, apostles, and confessors. Mm, there's, a there's a strict hierarchy of these people, isn't there? You have to work your way up. Yeah, and I was quite surprised <laughs> that you even had specifics. So if you didn't actually die, then you couldn't be a martyr or a saint. You were only a confessor. And if you died, mm. you still weren't a saint unless you were, there were a couple of other things that needed to happen. You had to be untouched and miracles had to happen in your name before you could become a saint. I think everything in the Catholic Church has a hierarchy, doesn't it? I mean, you've got all the uh, various types of angel, archangel and cherub mm -hmm. and seraphim. and <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's a hierarchy behind everything. Yeah. Wasn't so. um, wasn't this the Celtic New Year as well? Oh, I don't know. Ah, got a feeling it might have been. Oh, I have no idea. I didn't look that up. <laughs> oh well, someone yeah. will tell us. Pope Gregory, because he's now changed it to the night before All Hallows Day, basically turns Samhain into All Hallows Evening, shortened eventually to Halloween. We know that in 1556, the term All Hallows' Eve was used for this night, but we don't actually have a time for when it was shortened further to Halloween. I don't want you thinking that this co-opting was... that all of this was only Catholic religion feasts or religious feasts and celebrations being held. It's hard for us to understand, but... During the Tudor era, the devil, demons, evil spirits, and especially witches were very real and very terrifying. These beings could tempt you, steal you or your children away, hex you, and in some cases, replace you with a doppelganger. 
somebody who looked exactly like you and behaved like you, but wasn't you. Halloween was the night that this was most likely to happen. You had to protect yourself and your household at all costs. You had your home blessed by the priest, and you tried to get that to happen as close to darkness as possible. And it turns out that there was an idea this time that the prayer may not last through the whole night, which <laughs> I found fascinating. It's an, there's an expiry date on a prayer. Do we know how long it lasts? I mean, was, is there a way of getting two prayers in so that you can use them I, one after the other? Or? I didn't see anything. Well, they got to get the priest. The priest has got to go traipsing around the village. Blessing everybody. At three, three in the morning. Yeah. Well, he's supposed to have it done before darkness fell, because then he had to go back to the church to ring the church bells all night. So there's no way of getting anybody out to do to do a top-up prayer, then? Doesn't seem like it. Oh. I, I possibly. So if, probably, because those are the, the scariest times of the night, aren't they? Around th two, three in the morning. So that'd be the time when you're thinking, oh, God, I hope it's working. Well, yeah. literally, oh, God, <laughs> I hope it's working. Yeah, you wake up after a nightmare and think, oh, did the prayer run out? I suppose if you were wealthy enough, if you were a noble who often had their own priest in their household, they could... You'd have your own priest, wouldn't you? Yeah, they could probably top it up in the middle of the night, but in a village, probably not. They just seem to, they just seem deliberately to try and scare themselves to the maximum amount, don't they? They think, oh, well, we'll get prayers, that'll be fine. Oh, but what if it runs yes. out? <laughs> just constantly thinking, oh, but what if, what if, what if? But we still do that. Think of how popular horror movies oh, are. Oh, God, I do it all the time, yes. Yes. I don't personally like horror no. movies. I don't like being scared. But they are a very, very popular pastime. Same with ghost stories. Ghost stories, I can understand. Horror, horror films, no. Doesn't do it for me. Way too graphic. Mm. You would exchange and hand out soul cakes. Ooh, I was just about to say, actually. Um, do you think, when you talk about people being changed... And it's not you, but mm -hmm. it looks like you. Do you think that might be how they might explain um, something like head injuries or dementia or something that changes someone's personality? And you think, well, that that's not my father. That's that, My father doesn't do that. So it Very must possibly. have been replaced by somebody. Very possibly. Yeah. When you don't have an explanation, mm. the supernatural is sometimes the easiest way to go. Yeah. We will never know that, unfortunately. We will never know. No, because even if we found something, they didn't think the same way. They would just assume that this was the case. They wouldn't give you an explanation of, oh, well, they hit their head 10 mm. days ago, and now they're very different. And, and now they've they, been changed into somebody else, coincidentally. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, in the middle of the night, or they went out to a particular area they're not supposed to go to in the night, and when they came back, they were not the same. Mm. They were bleeding from a head wound, for one thing. But apart from that, they were all <laughs> the same. <laughs> yep. <laughs> On this evening, you would exchange and hand out soul cakes. You locked your doors and fastened the shutters on the windows. Glass was not available to most people, so they had wooden shutters. Most of all, you prayed. You prayed for yourself. You prayed for all you cared about. You even had to pray for your animals on this night. No, they do that. In, they don't do that in this, this Protestant countries. In Catholic countries, you can take your animals to a. It's usually Francis of Assisi Day, I think, isn't it? St. Francis Day. And you can take your animals really? to the church to be blessed. Yeah. They've seen that Aww. in Spain. Yeah, you've got a church full of animals all 
all desperate to kill each other. <laughs> everyone, oh, everyone desperately clinging on to their ferocious <laughs> dogs and rabbits and goats and things. And uh, of waiting to be blessed by the <laughs> No, I'm thinking of a ferocious rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Hmm. I like that. The Tudors may have put their own spin on Halloween, but we can't look only at that evening. The activities for this holiday were spread across three days rather than focusing on a single night. You had All Hallows Evening, October 31st. All Hallows Day, November 1st, and ending with All Souls Day on the 2nd of November. All three days together were known as All Hallow Tide. Pope Sixtus IV declared in 1430, right before our time, that Hallow Tide was to be eight days long for the Western Catholic Church. But in England, these three days continued to be the main days. Halloween was a night to be kept close, as the Tudors would say. Close meaning under watch and behind locked doors and windows. Within the household, you would want distractions. Alcohol, of course, was drunk in very large measure. And party games were played. This may have been when apple bobbing began, but not what we think of when we say apple bobbing. We imagine a bucket of water and you trying to dunk your face in to get a an apple. Mm. Instead, I'm going to try to describe this. It was a plus sign of wood or a cross of wood, but instead of being vertical like you would see it up on a wall, it was horizontal and suspended from the ceiling. And on each end of that plus sign, an apple was dangled below it using wire or string, and above each apple was a lit candle. Right. And you were supposed to reach up with your mouth only, your hands were tied behind your back, and grab hold of the apple and attempt to remove it without getting your face splashed with hot wax. <laughs> if you got that in your eye, that would be the end of your eye, wouldn't it? I mean, it, it is <laughs> a game with, uh, with certain dangers. Sadistic. <laughs> yes. Especially with children. I was thinking if the candles were long enough, the wax would probably cool enough, but you'd still wake oh, up the yeah. next morning with probably mm. some sort of burn spot on your face. If you're having trouble imagining this and you want to see it in action... No, I'm imagining it rather horrifically easily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining people running out, going, my eyes, my eyes, and that's it. <laughs> Little kids screaming. Yes. The BBC put out some of my favorite shows in the Edwardian Farm Show. I believe it's the second episode at the very end. It's the episode where they celebrate Halloween. They actually play this game. So it carried on. It's not just the uh, sadistic Tudors. Then it's the... No, it kept on going because if they were playing it in the Edwardian time period, it, it definitely kept on going. Well, perhaps we'll try it this year. Oh, take video. Take video <laughs> Next time for we see me, each other. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe watch Scars. <laughs> Peter in that Edwardian farm episode was very clever in the way he figured out how to get the apple off, but you have to be tall to do what he did. <laughs> so you might want to watch that. <laughs> okay. Well, my partner's six foot four, so he's got a slight advantage on it. <laughs> Use a chair. <laughs> I'm tiny. I I say I'm five foot two and a quarter on a good day, <laughs> usually wearing heels. <laughs> this is where we get into those conflicting sources we spoke of earlier. On Halloween, 
the poor and children would go souling. In some places, this was done on Halloween. In some places, it was only done on All Souls Day. And in some areas, it was done all three days. Souling was somewhat similar to trick-or-treating. People would go door to door begging for alms and little spice cakes known as soul cakes. Each cake was supposed to represent a soul in purgatory, and the soul cakes were made with cinnamon, cardamom, mace, all the expensive... I was going to say, that sounds expensive. Fairy. It all came from India or the Indies. Again, each cake was supposed to represent a soul in purgatory. The person or child that received a soul cake was supposed to pray for the soul of a family member of the home from which they received the cake. To this, they may, this may seem silly, but for the tutors, they believe that when people died, they spent ages and ages in purgatory. Mm. Each prayer reduced that time of torment. And speaking of hierarchy, mm -hmm. I've discovered that the more wretched you were, the more valuable your prayers were. Wretched in what way? Poverty-stricken or sinful? Or... Poverty-stricken, illness, yeah. children had much more valuable prayers than an adult mm. did. Well, I like to think of wretched children. <laughs> I didn't know childhood was a, was a thing of wretchedness. I think for the childhood, it was the innocence yes, that they were yes. perceived to have. Each prayer, reducing that time in torment, was so incredibly valuable to the tutors. A great deal of the wills from this time that I've been looking at included payments for prayers that were be, to be said perpetually for the will maker. Mm. And if you think about the church, this is an insanely lucrative piece of mm. work for churches and monasteries. Uh, there's an author, Nancy, I'm sorry, I'm going to probably butcher her name, Bilio, that says soul cakes were also given to protect those who were given them from any nasty spirits, which is why it may have been added to All Hallows' Eve when originally it was only on All mm. Saints' Day. I was just thinking how furious you'd be during the Reformation when you're told, actually, there's no mention of purgatory in the Bible. It's a complete invention. And they stopped those prayers. Yeah. So if you still yeah. believed in purgatory, you just found out that nobody would pray for you. Or your loved ones who've already gone, are already wallowing in purgatory. Yeah. Yeah, what a situation to be in. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't ever want to be in that situation you go from one belief to not only is it not you changing your belief it's somebody else telling you your belief is wrong and the penalty for keeping your old belief is was pretty catastrophic wasn't it yes it was <laughs> if you were lucky you went into exile mm. Mm -hmm. guising may also have been a tradition on all hallows evening this, combined with souling, is most likely the precursor to trick-or-treating. Young people would dress up in costumes and exchange for singing, telling jokes, or saying poetry. They would receive items, food, money, or wine, which <laughs> seems to be a bad idea to give to young people in the dark. But this is the Tudor era. Mm -hmm. Still, I would hope the children were getting food. <laughs> or just to line their stomachs. <laughs> yes, but they didn't do guising in the dark because you needed to be shut away in your house nice and safe yeah. before dark. So this was done during the day. I'd love to have heard one of the jokes that they told. I, mean, I wonder if we got any examples of Tudor jokes anywhere. We'll have to look some out. Oh, we have to have some somewhere. Somebody's written down one. Trick-or-treating 
So if guising was the precursor of trick-or-treating, I did find it interesting when you and I were discussing this earlier that trick-or-treating left England. We didn't have it when I was growing up. It's a relatively recent thing. And it, we blame the terrible Americans for bringing it in. <laughs> this isn't English. They've, we're um, importing yet more American culture. But no, it's not at all, is it? No, because I'm finding that it happened all the way through the Tudor era. And it this didn't stop when Protestantism came mm. in. Not originally. They continued to do guising and souling. Mm. Yeah, I, So you're just bringing it back. We're bringing it back, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I found about this holiday, I found in one small note that there was a very real danger at this time. Many Tudor farmhouses were not near a town. That's another thing we think of. We think of everybody as living very close. But other than villages, most most of the population was on an isolated farmstead that was sometimes several acres away from somebody else, like far enough hmm. that you couldn't yell to the next person. Yeah, I suppose so. I was, but when you were talking about the guising and soul cakes and things, I have envisaged a a village. I wasn't thinking really in terms of this all going on in a town, but presumably, presumably it did. Yes, I can't think of how it would happen in mm. a major farming area where it was just the agriculture. I have looked at a couple of places for, I don't know if you know this, they've done some LIDAR work, which is um, a laser, oh, what is it? It stands for something, but it's um, satellite images that they do sort of a laser beam bounce back off of the ground so they can see what's underneath the current mm. soil. So they can find walls and stuff. Yeah. But they can also find pharaohs or markings between villages and between farms. And they mm -hmm. did long strips of farms. It usually long enough and wide enough that an ox team could turn around at the end and then come back because you don't want to turn an ox team very often. Mm -hmm. So the houses were closer together with the farming behind them. So it wasn't quite as isolated as some people might think, but it was still... It wasn't a major area of population. You'd want to be in a, a group. Populated I mean, area. Yeah, I mean, just for safety and for, I mean, you, you're going to need each other. Yes. In times of difficulty. Yeah. Yeah. Very much I mean, yeah, so. Yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to be out on, a, on my own, I don't think, in that, certainly in that time. No. <laughs> and when you are that far away, and this is what I was finding, there is a real possibility of gangs or highwaymen attacking those isolated farms. So on a day, on a day where you have people wandering about, guising, so in costume, this threat had to have been increased. And guising, presumably, we get this way where we get the word disguising from. Yes. Mm. On that note that I found, on that small mention of it, they did say that attacks on isolated farms were increased. Over Halloween. Over Halloween. And it makes sense. We know it occurred on non-holiday evenings and nights. And if you are now allowed to wear a costume and approach these doors and people were expected to open the door and give you a soul cake, why wouldn't you do it when you had an increased anonymity ability? Mm. You're wearing that costume and you go on to the next house and nobody would look at you sideways because that was an expected thing to see on this day. And also, you might be able to convince the inhabitants that you are a demon or a, or a ghost. Ooh, yeah. 
I didn't find a second source for that, but it just seemed obvious that that would be the case. Mm. Before you can lock your doors and shutter your windows, you would be opening your door all day to strangers in costumes. Each time, how much would they be? Um, how much would they be strangers? I mean, if if you're living in a village, you're going to know at least recognize everybody in your village, aren't you? Just... Unless they're in a costume, we don't yeah. we don't have an example or a discussion of what these costumes look like, so we don't know if the faces were covered. Mm. But even so, I think you'd think, oh, that's so and so from the way they number, walk, number and... thirty-two, or something. yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> possibly. I would hope so. But even then, each time you're praying that the person knocking on your door was not the gang you heard about, or the rumors of the highwayman that's been going around and attacking isolated places. Mm. And you would be giving out soul cakes that your wife and daughters had baked that morning. If that wasn't bad enough, even if it wasn't an evil person intent on harm, you would then have to listen to really bad poetry or bad singing. <laughs> Before you can give them the cake. <laughs> I wonder how many people just said, take the cake, shush. shush. Yep. No, yes. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't even know if the poetry was something that they would memorize or if they had to make it up on the spot. <laughs> yeah, perhaps it was a sort of limerick about the people living there or something. It had to be... Personalized? Yeah, in instantaneous. Yes, that would be quite good. Oh, actually. my goodness. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> If you were fortunate enough to survive All Hallows' Eve, the night and the next two days of feasts and celebrations, you would go to Mass, perhaps just to give thanks for surviving All Hallows' Eve. All Saints' Day was at the same importance level as Christmas or Easter and was rigorously observed. It also may have been that priests would wear white. This is the liturgical color symbolic of victory and life. After Mass, you would go to the graveyard and place gifts, flowers, and candles on the graves of your family members, which I thought was so sad. Mm. Well, comforting as well, like the Day of the Dead in Mexico. Yes. Mm. This day was also a day that you would atone for missing any particular saint's day. Pope Urban IV from the 1200s is recorded as saying... Any negligence, omission, and irreverence committed in celebration of saints' feasts through the year is to be atoned for by the faithful, and the due honor may still be offered these saints. And I laughed when I read this. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card. <laughs> I don't have well, to celebrate any the church of church is full of them, though, isn't it? Yes. yes you buy indulgences. And... Yeah, there are saints' days throughout the year, but you can ignore all of them. As long as you do this one day. Yeah, they, it's clever, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> do you have to pay the church for this by any chance? You are supposed to give alms at the church. Yes, I thought you might. <laughs> pay the church, give them wine. Apparently, if there were guilds around, guilds took on specific duties at churches. And this would be a day where they would go in and prep things. This day, these three days, were not a work day. You would do the absolute minimum required to keep your farm going and you fed. The rest of your time was dedicated to religious duties and feasting. November 2nd, All Souls Day, was set aside to remember all those in purgatory. Again, we're focused on purgatory. Mm. This is for people who, for some reason, didn't have prayers or masses said for them. 
This could be anyone who wasn't wealthy enough to leave church money or who had no family left who would remember them in their prayers. Or in cases like pandemics, we discussed the sweating sickness in Arthur's episode, everyone who knew them had also died. There was nobody left even to remember them. Even outside of a pandemic, you could easily find yourself a widow or a widower or orphan, couldn't you? Yes. Or a parent who has lost every child they had. Mm, yeah. Yeah. This is where soul cakes were definitely baked and handed out to request those prayers for all that were forgotten. Church bells were rung to comfort the souls, possibly the night before, but there are a few accounts that I found of the bells ringing all day on All Souls Day. Hmm. If you lived in town, you may also hear groups of the needing moving through the streets chanting, a soul cake, a soul cake, have mercy on all Christian souls for a soul cake. To highlight the importance of this day, we can look to wealthy people during this time just to see the importance of the prayers for purgatory. We did mention that they would pay for somebody to say prayers perpetually, mm. but if they could afford it, they would put a great deal of money aside for private chapels or chantries to carry on purgatorial prayers for their and their family's souls forever. It was basically an investment. We had that with Jasper, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, I remember it said in perpetuity and I think, well, you know, if it hadn't been for the Reformation, it would still be going on. Yeah, so basically this was an investment. You give them a ton of money and they were only allowed to take out whatever money was required to keep them going. They could never use it all up. Because they entered into a contract with you, essentially, that they mm. would pray for you until the end of time. You know, that didn't happen. Which, <laughs> which a lot of people, well, I was going to say a lot of people thought would be relatively soon, aren't they? They're expecting the second coming all the time. Any time. We mm. still are. <laughs> <laughs> On All Souls Day, your day was dedicated to prayers and mass for those in purgatory. For anyone who could not afford that luxury that we were just mentioning. You would light candles in the church and at your home to light the way for the souls. And again, candles are not cheap. No. Most people would be using rush lights, <laughs> which is a reed that you dredge through fat and it burns very slowly in very little light. Candles were very expensive. Very smokily. Yes, very smokily. Candles were very expensive and yet you were expected to light them on this day and leave them going. They were supposed to burn themselves out. People must have dreaded these days. A bit like <laughs> if you've got children, sometimes you dread Christmas because you say, oh, God, expense. Yes. Candle Between the candles and the spices, I mean, this is going to bankrupt you, isn't it? Yes. At the end of the day, you would have a final feast of the holiday with your household and guests. And in some areas, you would listen to religious tales throughout your feast or take time to teach the children in the household all about purgatory. <laughs> what a lovely holiday. Lucky kids. <laughs> Gather round, children. I've got something to tell you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. First night, we're going to scare you to death. Yeah. Second night, oh, it's all lovely. We're remembering everybody. Third night, this is what's going to happen to you after you die. Mm. So be a good kid. Do all your prayers. And you'll spend less time in purgatory. Not no time. Still spend, yeah, you still spend some time. Just less time. Oh, God. They must have... The levels of anxiety must have been sky high in the... In, yes. Well, I'm saying the Tudor times. I mean, we're talking 
any time really, aren't we? From from then till Victorians, probably. Yes. Congratulations. You have just survived the most horrifying night of the year. Ooh, lovely. You celebrated. You prayed. With a sigh of relief, it is over. It is really too bad that you have the rest of winter, the most disease-ridden time of the year, to still survive. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs>